So let's put it all together then. Paul says he wants us to oida our pastors, meaning he wants us to look at our pastors and know them and their work. Like really, really know them. Don't just glance at them kind of like with your eyes squinted and get a fuzzy idea of who they are and what they do in the church, but know them like you know the back of your hand. Know them inside and out. Know who your pastors are and know what they do in the church. That's the command. That's what Paul is telling us to do. Now, before we look at the specific things that Paul wants us to know about our pastors, I need to point out that you cannot carry out this command if you do not have a pastor. In Paul's mind, Christians who have pastors are just, it's just what it means to be a Christian. He can't separate the two ideas. So if you don't have a pastor, you can't carry this out. Therefore, it is imperative that you become a member of a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. You need to join a church so that you can know your pastor, so that you can benefit from his ministry, and so that you can esteem him. I wonder if you noticed, maybe that was a little tricky, I threw in the word member there, and that wasn't an accident. If someone who is, has, has discipled you for a long time, that's a really good thing. It's a positive thing. It's good for your soul. But that doesn't mean that that person is your pastor. The shepherd-sheep relationship begins when you covenant with the church and are received into membership. That's when it is established. So it also means if you're a regular visit, visitor here, I'm super glad you're here. I want you to keep coming. That's a good thing. But I also want to be clear that Sean and Grant are not your pastors. You are not in their sheep pen if you have not covenanted with this body and been received into membership. I can't address every possible reason why you have or maybe have not become a member. Some reasons are probably good. Some reasons probably aren't. But my simple encouragement to you is that you would, as reasonably as you can, Join a healthy and true church and commit to knowing your pastor when you do. Okay, all those qualifications are set in stone. Now we got them there. Paul now tells us then three things that he wants us to know about our pastors. They're listed for us in verse 12. He says, I want you to know those who labor among you. I want you to know that they are over you in the Lord. And I want you to know that they admonish you. So I want to start first with the fact that they are over us in the Lord. What does that mean, that our pastors are over us? Well, it means that our pastors have authority to rule over their church members. When I say it that way, I wonder if it sounds pretty harsh to you, right? Like it's like nails on a chalkboard, or maybe it gives you ideas of Cinderella serving her abusive mother, you know, or like a, a king ruling over all of his peasants, and they're, they're just trying to scrounge up enough food to survive. But that's not the kind of authority that the Bible teaches us about. And that's not the kind of authority that God gives to pastors. Paul says, the elders rule over us in the Lord. Listen, listen. This is not Sean's church. This is God's church. Acts 20:28 plainly tells us that it is his church and that he purchased it with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. If the church is God's business and the pastors are simply the managers, or to use a biblical imagery, we are God's flock and the pastors are the shepherds that God has set over us. They only have authority to rule insofar as God has given them authority to rule. 
He is the one who sets the boundaries of their authority. So, we ask, authority to do what? Well, first, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Okay, it doesn't mean that God has given them authority to rule harshly over you, to abuse you and serve themselves. If it did mean that, that would actually be especially bad news. Right? They have authority, great. They have authority from God to do what? To rule over us harshly? That, that would be like the king who does rule over his peasants. And his argument has always been, God has given me this authority to treat you like this, so you have to put up with it. That would actually be, a, it would be even worse than we had first imagined. But of course, the authority that God gives to his shepherds is not an authority to fleece the flock and to make himself a nice coat. God doesn't give authority to shepherds to take us and cook us up and make us into nice lamb chops, right? God has given them authority actually to do good. Your pastor doesn't have a, a, given, a God-given right to abuse you or to use you. He can't just boss you around this way and that in whatever way that serves him. He can't use you to make himself rich and popular. He doesn't get to sit on a throne and use you as a footstool. So I've told you then what it doesn't mean. Here's what it does mean, that your pastors rule over you in the Lord. It means they have a God-given authority to serve you. A God-given authority to serve you. Think about it. If the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, if he came to give his life as a ransom and to lay it down to serve his sheep, how much more then will the under-shepherd use what God has given him to serve the sheep? The way a pastor serves his flock is by sacrificially laying his life down in order to protect and in order to lead the sheep. And God equips them for this task. He gives them an authority to do it. He gives them a rod to fend off false teachers. And he gives them a staff to gently lead and to, and to pull us along and to keep the sheep on the path. The pastor then must sacrifice his life in order to learn, in order to study, in order to know the word and to understand how to use his authority well. And then he has to give up his life to actually go out into the battlefield and deploy these things that the Lord has, has given him. He's got to know how to use his rod. He's got to know how to use his staff. And it's going to take his whole life to do it. So when a wolf comes up to devour the sheep, the pastor is the one who, who jumps to the front of the line. He's the one who has to be there, who has to fend him off to protect his people. And if sheep start wandering off, and as we are prone to do, and as we begin to be difficult and to make bad decisions and put ourselves in danger, if the pastor has to risk his life and leave the 99 to go find that sheep and to try to coax them home and to bring them back in, to keep them safe, to keep them on the path to heaven. Do you see the eternal magnitude of this job? Do you see how weighty of a responsibility this authority is. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us, your pastors are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. A pastor is tasked with keeping sheep out of the mouth of hell and with guiding them into the gates of heaven. And he has to give an account for each and every one of them. Where did they end up? Did you, pastor, do your job or did you not do your job? They have to answer to God for that. That is not a small thing. It is not a small thing that our elders rule over us in the Lord. This authority brings with it 
an awesome responsibility then, not to serve themselves, but to serve others, namely the church. The second thing Paul wants us to know is that our pastors labor among us. In the Greek, kapiontas means to labor until worn out, to deplete yourself. We are to know those who exhaust themselves. So let's do a thought experiment. It's Sunday today, right? Tomorrow's going to be Monday, so let's fast forward to them. The pastor is up early. He's wrestling with thoughts about yesterday's sermon. Did I prepare well enough? Was I clear? Did I speak with conviction? Did I say what God wanted me to say? Man, I wish this one sheep was there to hear it. I think that would have been good for their soul. The way I said this one thing, I wonder if that just rubbed one of the sheep the wrong way, you know? And the way I said that one thing, I wonder if I didn't say it hard enough. I wonder if I enabled that sheep and I just should have said it more strongly. Am I even a good preacher? Are these sermons really blessing my people? I mean, God, what am I doing here? By this time, this is only Monday morning, by this time the pastor has to push through all these thoughts because Wednesday night's right around the corner and Sunday morning, it's coming. And he has to get back into the word. Oh, and don't forget the toilet is broken. Also, next week, the ceiling's going to literally fall on the ground. Oh, and the next week after that, you're going to drive in and you're not going to be able to park in your usual parking spot because the carport is now where you usually park. And don't forget, too, that you have a house uh, visit scheduled for Tuesday and Thursday, so you need to set time aside to be praying about that and preparing for that. And also, you have three books you need to read in preparation for the various discipleship relationships that you have going on in the church, and you need to prepare the agenda for the elders meeting. That's coming up on Wednesday, which is really comforting because you're good with budgets, right? You, you know how to do all that. Finally, it's Monday night. It's just one day's work. The pastor's rolling into bed after a long day. He's got the sermon outline whooped, and the elders' agenda seems to be in place. It's late, but his mind keeps racing. What is, what is the best way to teach point number two and what, what did I tell the roofer? When is he supposed to be coming again? And I hope I didn't forget anything important going on in the life of the church because the Wednesday night elders meeting is coming up and we need to talk about these things. And so he's scanning his mind. And as he's scanning all these things, he's reminded of the 10,000 things that he needs to pray for his sheep about. He's got to commit himself to prayer and pleading on their behalf. And as he's praying, his phone rings and he rolls over and he sees that it's, it's 2 a.m., and one of the couples that have been struggling lately, they've had another really bad argument, and this one's sounding worse than the other ones. So he has to put on his counseling hat, and he makes his way out the door to go and serve them. And he does this, or something like this, every single day for the next five days before it's Sunday. And this is a pastor's favorite day, because there are a lot of moving pieces, and there's a lot of work that goes into it, but this is what it's all about. He gets to gather with his people and they get to read and they get to sing and they get to pray and he gets to preach and be with them. And he takes a sigh of relief and he gets lunch with his family after the service and some, gets lunch with some church members, goes home and enjoys a good night's rest. And he wakes up and it's Monday and he gets to do it all over again. We've all heard the, the joke, right, that a pastor just works one day a week <laughs> And if it's true, you know, maybe, maybe you have. Maybe you have had a pastor who works one day a week. Well, I just want you to know that uh, it just means that maybe he's not a good pastor. 
Because good pastors, they have to labor. There's so much work that is required. I mean, think about it. If he's taking seriously the call to lay down his life for his sheep, your pastor cannot help but to continue to labor. And he does. A good pastor will labor to the point of exhaustion. Let's think about this too. Let's do another really quick thought experiment. Those of us who don't have any kids, think about your life and how much it would change if you had two or three kids and you had to take on all that extra responsibility. Your responsibility would increase dramatically, right? Now, everyone, imagine taking care of 50 kids. That's a lot of soccer games. That's a lot of birthday parties. The pastor, he's there to rejoice with you at your wedding, and he's there to talk it out with you when you need counseling. He's there to celebrate when you get your job promotion, and he's there to celebrate or or to pray with you when you lose your job. He's there to hold your newborn baby. He's there to weep with you when your loved one passes away. And your pastor, on top of all that, he he manages to find time to, to be there for all the other little things in between. He's always leading, always loving, always working, always teaching, laughing, crying, forgiving, fixing, listening, and on and on and on. On top of even all of those requirements for his time, most of the work of a pastor is focused on the most difficult parts of our life, right? Many of us, we want to be around our pastor. You know, we, that's something that we enjoy doing. We want to be around him when everything's going well, but we need our pastor when everything is going terribly. We need him when we're at our worst. So not only is our pastor at most of the kids' soccer games, to say, But more often than not, he's there in our lowest and most vulnerable and hardest, most sinful moments. And he has to be there for those. Kind of makes me think of a CSI investigator, right? Every every time there's a crime, he has to be there where the dead bodies are, where all the evil is, where all the sin is, and he has to steep in it. That does a number on a person. It wears a person down. It's weighty. It's difficult. The good times are good, but the bad times... They're thick and fast. And still more, on top of all of this, don't forget that the pastor has to lead his own life. He has to shepherd his own soul. He has to protect some time to study the word and be devoted to God and to pray. And he has to do this not only for himself, but he has to do it for his own family. Your pastor is still a human who has to strive with the Lord. He's a husband. He's a dad. He needs to lay down his life for them too. So as you can see, brothers and sisters, everyone in this room, your pastors, their labor is never over. It's never over. Now, of course, my point is not that you should feel bad for your pastors, rather that you should feel guilty in some way. That's, that's not beneficial at all. Our pastors know that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And so they gladly take up that mantle of responsibility. Our pastors, they believe Jesus when he says, it is better to give than to receive. And so they do. I'm just eager that this morning, 6th Avenue, that you would just realize, that you would know, as Paul says, just how blessed we are to have pastors who do this. They really do this. Do you know? Do you really see and understand that your pastor is depleting himself for your sake. He is.
The third thing Paul wants us to know is that our pastors admonish us. The main tools of the trade for a pastor are his biblically saturated words. He carries around them, carries them around with him everywhere he goes. It's always in his tool belt. In some situations, he has to pull out encouragement. In other situations, he just pulls out some good old-fashioned instruction, just some sound biblical counsel. But in today's text, it's very interesting to me. Paul doesn't say that you're that they're, you're the ones who labor over you are those who teach you or instruct you, but he picks a very specific word. It says, your pastor admonishes you. Or literally, it means to place the mind. Just think about how uncomfortable it is if someone were to grab your mind and have to place it. He's, he has to admonish, to exhort, to warn. Of all the different types of word ministry, guys, this is usually the most difficult. I don't even know if I need to say usually. It's the most difficult, admonishing. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you had to confront someone, right? It's hard. You get nervous. You go into that conversation feeling like, I know I'm doing the right thing and and that I love this person and that's what's motivating me and that's that's why I'm going to them. But you're not so sure that they're going to see it that way. Very often people don't see it that way. The conversation goes, it gets really awkward. You start to feel breathy. You start to feel like maybe I need to back out, like I'm, I'm in too deep right now. Uh, but you do it, and, and you be faithful, and you do the loving thing. And as the conversation ends, even though you were as gracious as you could be, you feel the tension. You, you know that that person is upset at you. And that, that uncomfortable feeling will sit in the pit of your stomach for a really long time. But a good pastor knows that admonishing just comes with the territory. It's just part of the job. Sheep can be nasty little creatures, I can be a nasty little creature. And a shepherd has to live day in and day out with his nose just right in it because, big surprise, Christians, even though we're Christians, are still sinners. We still do terrible things. And so we all need to be told a hard truth in love sometimes. We need someone to come along and say what needs to be said. And when I say sometimes, the really uncomfortable truth is, is that we need it a lot of the time. Most of the time. Think about it. In a church of 50 people, how often do you think it is that your pastor is having to admonish somebody? It's very often. It's very often. It's very uncomfortable. It's very difficult. But that's, it's, it's the good work. It's motivated by love. That's why they do it. And the unfortunate thing is there's so many pastors out there who do not want to do that work. They, like everyone else, they just want to be liked. They don't want to say anything difficult. They don't want to be the mean guy. They don't want to risk their reputation. They'll give you encouragement. They'll be there to give you encouragement and to tell you that you're great. They'll be there to give you some, some advice on, them, on some things. But whatever's keeping you from carrying on that good counsel, those problems in your heart, those sin issues, I don't know if I want to address that. That's just that's too much. But a good pastor knows that he has to do it. He has to come up He can't be like the parent who pushes off discipline on the other parent because they want to be liked. Like, you do all the spanking because I don't want him to be upset at me. Because there is no one else in the room. There is no other parent in the room. The pastor has to be the one who leads the way in teaching and admonishing and warning and disciplining. So brothers and sisters, I just hope you understand. I hope you can wrap your head around the nature of that work and understand just how difficult it is and that it is a necessary part of your pastor. 
And I hope you see that whenever you are admonished, that you recognize that that is motivated by love. That someone is willing to do something like that for you, for your sake. It's because they love you. It's because they're serving you. Okay, before we leave, point number one, just a quick little application. In order to know your pastor and to know his work, it's not going to happen by accident. It's not just going to, one day you're just going to understand the nature of his work better and, and understand Sean and Grant better. But you have to apply yourself to it. And so the application here is invest in your relationship with your pastor. In our culture, we focus a lot of time on being interesting. You know, we, we want to get our Instagram filters just right. We want to make sure that uh, our wardrobe is looking good. We spend a lot of time and money on that. And whenever we're in conversation, we're constantly thinking, okay, you know, I'm being likable here. I'm doing a good job. We're always thinking about how can I be interesting? Put so much work into that, into being interesting. But we don't often try very hard to be interested in others. And we ought to. Make a point to change that. Be interested in your pastor. Take him out to lunch. Invite him over for dinner. Ask him questions. How's your week been? You know, why did you become a pastor? Do you know why your pastor wanted to be a pastor? Do you know why he does what he does every single day? Find out. Ask the question. Another simple thing you can just ask is, how can I be praying for you? You know, just dig into the lives of the pastor. And when you do that, you're going to get to know your pastor better, and you're going to know his work better. And that's what Paul's asking us to do. So then the question is, all right, I, I'm striving to know my pastor and his work better. Well, now what do I do? What do I do with this information? Well, he tells us, at least into point number two. Point number two, esteem your pastors. When the best athletes win at the games, we put them on a podium. They're ahead above everybody else. And whenever a great musician finishes playing, we stand and we applaud. We're just so impressed. When someone bakes the best blueberry pie at the county fair, we take a ribbon and we put it on their chest. Or at least, I don't know if we still do that or not, but I think that's a thing, <laughs> right? You can probably think back to a time when you met such a high achiever in person. Maybe you got starstruck and nervous. Your palms started sweating and it was a little hard to find your words because you were in front of, of greatness, especially the guy who baked that blueberry pie, right? The point is, we show honor and respect to the best and brightest among us. There's a certain reverence that we feel towards them. It's natural, and that's, I think that's, that's fine. To use Paul's language, we esteem them. That's what it means to esteem. Well, Paul commands the Thessalonians to esteem someone as well. He commands us to esteem our pastors. Not only should we esteem them, he says, but he says that we should esteem them very highly there in verse 13. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, that doesn't mean that after the sermon we should burst into a round of applause and just like let him know how much we esteem him. And it doesn't mean that we need to get like a fat head poster of Sean and stick it on our closet door. Uh, if someone could do that, though, that would be kind of neat, I guess. <laughs> but we should honor and respect them. Well, why? Why should we honor and respect our pastors? Is it just because they have a likable personality? Should we honor and respect our pastor because that's what our grandparents did, so we'll just kind of do the same thing? Should we esteem them because they occasionally preach in ultra-white tennis shoes? Maybe. No, that's not the reason that we esteem our pastors. We esteem them, Paul says, because of their work. So, 
What is their work? Well, we just talked about it. We just talked about it in verse 12. They labor and they lead and they admonish. That's just scratching the surface. Their work, it's selfless. It's incredibly difficult. We've seen that it has an eternal impact. So when Paul says, esteem your pastors, I mean, isn't it just obvious that we should highly esteem the men who dedicate their lives to serving us, going through such hard work for eternal gain? It makes sense. Faithful, diligent work that benefits our souls deserves recognition. So for example, people, you know, they've oohed and awed over Michael Jordan when he had the, he had the flu and he made that three-point shot. And it was. It was an incredible moment. It deserved a certain amount of recognition. There's no doubt. But guys, I've seen Sean get up here in this pulpit while he has the flu and deliver a sermon that was edifying to the people and that brought God glory. And I'm just like, I would like to see MJ do that. I would like to see him prepare a sermon while he had the flu and get up here and do that. It deserves recognition. We should highly esteem our, our faithful pastors because of their work. Also notice here in verse 13 that Paul says we should highly esteem our pastors because of their work in love. God doesn't just want us to go through the motions. He doesn't want it just to be something that, oh, you know, we respect and honor our pastors, sure. But he wants it to come from our hearts. Love and deep heartfelt appreciation should flood us as we observe and pay careful attention to our pastors and their work. I know a command to feel love towards someone is not easy, especially a command to feel love towards another human because pastors, after all, after all are still sinners, just like the rest of us. Even the best pastors can lead selfishly at times. Even the best pastors can kind of let their work go and maybe become a little complacent uh, one week or another. Good pastors can sometimes not be willing to say the hard thing. Or maybe they go to say the hard thing and they just say it too strongly. A pastor is not perfect. But nonetheless, a good pastor who does his job well deserves a place of honor in our hearts. And he should feel love and appreciation from us. Okay. So I've told you why we should esteem our pastors very highly. But now I want to tell you how. How do we esteem our pastors? I've got six ways for us to do that. Don't freak out. These are, not, these are pretty quick. Six ways that we can esteem our pastor. First, or number one, pay them. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, Paul writes, the Lord, that's Jesus, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So here we see that one of the main ways you can honor your pastor is by paying them. If you go to a church, you can almost always tell right away whether or not they value their pastors by whether or not they're paying them enough in such a way that they can uh, devote their life to preaching and teaching the word. They'll make sure that he can get his living by the gospel, as Paul just told us in 1 Corinthians 9. A pastor should be set apart for preaching and teaching the word. So if you have a pastor who you don't want to give your money, 
because you don't think they deserve it, well, then what that means then is you need to get a different church with a different pastor, someone who will preach and teach the word in such a way that they, you want to support them and their family. You don't want to settle for a shepherd who isn't worth his wages. Don't do it. Instead, go somewhere where a shepherd is worth his wages. If you don't have one who's not worth his wages, or if you'd rather have a shepherd who is worth his wages, show him your love and appreciation by taking care of him and his family. Pay them. Pay them well. Be generous. There's nothing particularly holy by making a pastor be holy by not paying them. You know? We're going to make sure that he doesn't have any money and keep them holy. Not our job. Our job is to give them double honor. And if you have a pastor who's worth double honor, then pay him. Secondly, second way we can esteem our pastors, we can imitate them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitation is a high form of praise. Right? It's, it's like a child who looks up to his dad and says, I want to be just like you when I grow up. And that's what we should do. We should all aspire to be like our pastors. And keep in mind, you can't consider the outcome of their way of life and genuinely aspire to be like them if you don't know them, right? So that points us back to the first half of the sermon. You have to know your pastor in order to imitate your pastor. When you do imitate them, also just know that they are imitating Christ. It's a form of discipleship. When you esteem them and hold them up in that light and you you strive to be like them, in essence, you're striving to be like Christ. So uh, a quick sub point on that, right? We are all called to imitate our pastors, but I want to make a special appeal to all of the men in here. Men, one way that you can imitate your pastor is by trying to become a pastor. Aspire to be a pastor. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, uh, or we, we learn that one of the most important jobs that a pastor has is entrusting the gospel to faithful men who will entrust that gospel to other faithful men who will entrust that gospel to other faithful men, right? There's this situation a pastor wants to duplicate. He wants to raise up godly men who will continue raising up godly men to lead his church. I mean, if you want to esteem your pastor, men, try to become a pastor. Imitate him in that way. Thirdly, third way we can esteem our pastors is pray for them. The things that we esteem the most are the things that tend to come to the forefront of our minds. If you'll obey the first command of our text, you'll get to know your pastor, then you're going to learn how to pray for your pastor. You're going to know what he struggles with in his own personal life. You're going to know what work he has. And as you do that, as, you, as you're in, in learning all these things, let it inform your prayer life. Go to God and plead with him and say, you've given us a good pastor, Lord. One of the ways you can lift him up is just lift him up to the Lord in prayer and say, would you bless his work? Would you help him to be holy? Would you continue to guide him as he guides our church? Esteem your pastor by praying for your pastor. Fourthly, submit to them. To quote Hebrews 13, 17 again, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I don't think there could be anything more encouraging 
to a pastor than a humble and teachable sheep. Don't be the sheep with a chip on his shoulder and a problem with authority. You don't want to be the sheep that keeps your pastor awake at night because you ignore his counsel and don't want to listen to him or obey the things that he's telling you. Recognize that God has given them an authority to lead you for your good, so let them lead you. Submit to that God-given authority. You can do this by receiving rebuke well. We've talked about the difficulty of of being admonished. Make admonition easier. (laughs) Just know that he admonishes me because he loves me. Tell your pastor, I appreciate that you are willing to say that hard thing to me. Whenever we go to members meetings, just have a general disposition of, I trust my pastors. I believe that they pray, that they study the word, and that they have our good in mind. The caveat, of course, is there is a time when you ought to resist your pastor and you ought not submit to them. But only resist your pastor if he gives you a word of counsel that is sinful. Or there's something going on in a member's meeting that is wrong. You have a God-given authority then to actually, uh, there's a whole process that you should uh, take the elders to task on things. If they are wrong, if they are in sin, if they are asking you to do things they ought not do, there's recourse for that. But do not fail to submit to your pastor and resist him unless you know that you are going to stand before God and he will vindicate you and he will say you did the right thing. Otherwise, be teachable, be humble, allow him to do his job. And when you do that, it's going to put wind in your pastor's sail. It's going to prove to him that you esteem him, that you trust him. That's why he says, don't let them lead you with groaning. Let them do it with joy because if they did it with groaning, that would be of no advantage to you. So submit to your pastor. Esteem them in that way. Number five, sympathize with them. I touched on this a little bit, but I just want to say it explicitly. Acknowledge that your pastor has a tough job. He does. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, that he feels anxiety for his sheep every day. And we've read that in Hebrews 13, that shepherds are going to have to give an account for our souls. That weighs on a pastor. It's, that's a terrifying reality. On top of that anxiety over your souls, James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Your pastor is voluntarily taking on a a stricter judgment over his soul. That weighs on a man. It's a lot of pressure. So one way you can esteem your pastor in love is by simply acknowledging this truth. Just letting your pastor know, I appreciate what you do. What you do is hard and it's weighty. Number six, be patient with your pastors. Your pastor is not perfect, so don't expect him to be perfect. When he messes up, show him grace. It just it proves that you trust him, that you think highly of him, that even though you're not perfect, I still think the world of you. Pastor, I forgive you. I want you to keep leading me. I want to keep following you. You're a man that is worth being followed, and I believe that you love me. That just pumps your pastor up, builds him up, and it just, it just shows to him that you are worthy of my honor and respect in such a way that 
I've got plenty of forgiveness reserved for you, pastor. It's a good thing to do. That will esteem them. Brothers and sisters, a faithful pastor who puts his hand to the plow is invaluable. And they should be esteemed because of their work. Godly pastors, then, are a great treasure. Don't let those who do a good job go unnoticed, but instead esteem them very highly in love. Okay, last thing I want to mention. I've touched on this throughout the sermon, but I want to make it clear now that good shepherds take their cues from the good shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. A godly pastor leads like Jesus leads. He labors like Jesus labors. He teaches what Jesus teaches. Maybe you aren't a Christian this morning and you've known a pastor who is a good man. Or maybe you're not a Christian this morning and you hear the qualities of a pastor and it strikes a chord with you. You're intrigued and you you can appreciate that. Or maybe you've already gotten an opportunity to spend some time with our pastors and you think they're really good guys. Well, I just want you to know that those qualities, those redeemable qualities that you see in those men, they're pointing to Jesus. They're imitating Christ. Those things that you see, I want you to see Jesus through them. Because Jesus came and he gave up his life on the cross. He was perfect and didn't owe it to anyone. But he laid down his life to pay for our sins. And then he rose from the dead three days later. And he ascended into heaven. And right now, he has entrusted us to under shepherds, to godly men to lead us through the heavenly gates. And one day, this Jesus will come back. Will he be your shepherd or will he not? Will he usher you in to his gates or will he not? Jesus is good. Jesus is dead for you. He is available for you. If you will turn from your sin and if you will put your faith in him and entrust your life to him, he will oversee your soul and you will be with him in heaven forever. This gift is free. It's available to you. Would you take it? Brothers and sisters, Sixth Avenue, we do a good job loving our pastors. Keep going. Keep striving. Keep building them up. Keep praying for them. Esteem them highly and love. Don't slack up here. (laughs) And to Sean and Grant, thank you for your labors in this church. And I'm especially blessed as one who gets to work very closely with you men. And uh, as someone who aspires to be an elder, uh, you've taught me so much just in your example and the way that you lead and love this church. And I wish you all could see just how much they give uh, when the doors are closed and when you don't know. Not every church has this. So treasure them, esteem them, highly in love. Let's pray.